got to live out your dream of becoming a pro wrestler. You're doing really well, the crowd loves you, and eventually, you're one of the most famous wrestlers in all of Japan. You absolutely love your job, but it's hard being away from your family, but you make it work because that's what you do. In the ring, you're a chain-swinging, formidable force, but outside the ring, you're a father, a husband, and a smart, articulate person. But little do you know, this intelligence will ultimately lead to a feud that will seal your fate. Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you, and thank you for coming back to take another deep dive into crime with us. Please check out our episode description. There you can find the links to my TikTok and Instagram, and a link to help us out over here at Crime Dive. You can also find my email in the episode description for any business inquiries. Please be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, turn on your post notifications. We post every week on Saturdays at 10.30 a.m. Today we are going to be talking about the very shocking death of Frank Goodish, otherwise known in the wrestler world as Bruiser Brody. I haven't done a case involving a wrestler in a long time. The first one I did was Chris Benoit. I didn't do a YouTube video on that though. I actually just did a podcast episode because that was before I started doing YouTube. So if you wanna go ahead and listen to that one, after you listen to this one, go right ahead. It's very, very interesting. I really wanted to do another wrestler case because this case is so shocking it's crazy i can't even believe that this was even able to happen by the end of this video you're going to be pretty upset but with that let's get right into the case frank donald goodish was born on june 18 1946 in uniontown pennsylvania he was described as being independent smart kind of quiet and he just knew how to handle his business Frank was actually an all-American high school football player because he was really good. And upon graduating, Frank decided to go to Iowa State where he received a full athletic scholarship in order to play football. But he ended up getting cut because of behavior issues. So he ended up going to West Texas State, which is now known as West Texas A&M. And he went there and played football. In 1968, he decided to go undrafted to play for the Washington Redskins, now known as the Washington Commanders. And he played on their practice team for three seasons. But once again, Frank was cut for bad behavior so he decided to go into the Canadian Football League where he was once again cut for bad behavior. Eventually he decided to just play semi-pro football and do his own thing there but it was while he was doing semi-pro football in Texas that he actually met Fritz Von Erich and if you don't know who Fritz Von Erich is he is a wrestling legend. He is the patriarch of a wrestling family dynasty known as the Von Erichs and their story in itself is extremely extremely tragic. I don't remember everything that happened but I did watch a documentary on them and I just remember my mouth being open the whole time because it was just that tragic. But Fritz Von Erich nonetheless was a legend and once he met Frank he said you know what I see potential in you as a wrestler and he began to train him and it was then that Frank just decided that he wanted to become a professional wrestler. And he started wrestling under the name The Hammer. But in 1976, Frank decided to join WWE and it was there that he turned his name into Bruiser Brody. And I'll be referring to Frank Goodish as Bruiser Brody or Brody for the remainder of the episode. Even though Frank was his real name, most people know him by Brody or Bruiser Brody. 
Once he changed his name to Bruiser Brody and he changed his persona as being somebody who goes to the crowd swinging a huge chain and intimidating the entire audience, he became extremely popular. He would run into the crowds and he would scare everybody. People would run when they saw him and he absolutely loved it. And so did the crowds. People like being scared. So people just flocked to Bruiser Brody when it came to his persona. They absolutely loved how scary he was. Brody also wrestled for All Japan Pro Wrestling in the 80s, and it was there that he became wildly popular, like wildly popular. To this day, he is still seen as one of their most famous wrestlers because that was where he really excelled. That was definitely the prime of his career was while he was wrestling in Japan. In 1977, Brody met a woman named Barbara who was working at a hotel in Sydney, Australia while he was staying there for a match. She was working the receptionist desk and they instantly hit it off and fell in love. They got married on a whim in Vegas after just months of knowing each other. Eventually they had their son named Jeff and Brody was absolutely in love with his son. He loved him to death. He was there for him as much as he could be given his pretty demanding career and he just did everything he could to support his family. But like I said, his career was really demanding. I mean, when you're a wrestler out of the entire year you're maybe home for like three months so it definitely can be very taxing on your personal life your social life your family life and he just wasn't home a lot but he did what he could to support his family nonetheless and when he was home he was home and he was very present for his family especially his son but work calls and on July 17th 1988 Brody had to attend a wrestling match in Bayamon Puerto Rico for a wrestling territory called World Wrestling Council and World Wrestling Council is known as one of the most violent wrestling territories in the world. So let's talk about World Wrestling Council for a little bit and Brody's relationship with the people who were in charge. World Wrestling Council, as I said, is one of the most violent wrestling territories in the world. And they're known for their crazy crowds and their blood-soaked matches. But if there was one person who was known for their blood-soaked matches, it was Bruiser Brody. If you went to a Bruiser Brody match, you knew you were going to see blood and that's what you wanted. That's really what drew the crowds in. So Brody seemed like the perfect guy to be wrestling in World Wrestling Council. And the crowds, like I said, were absolutely crazy. They would throw pee and stones and chair, like they didn't care. It was crazy. They would throw cups at the wrestlers and the wrestlers kind of just fed into it. I mean, they understood that this was just a part of the culture, but Brody did, however, have a little bit of an issue with another wrestler who worked for World Wrestling Council. Not only was he very close to the founders of this wrestling territory, but he was also a booker. And if you don't know what a booker is, a booker is a person who's in charge of the matches. And when I say that, I mean they're the creative director. They control the outcome of the match, who wrestles who, as well as your storyline. So you wanna be on their good side because the angles that they decide to write can either go in your favor or against your favor. And this man was Jose Huertas Gonzalez. And he actually wrestled under the name Invader or Invader number one. He and Brody did not get along at all, which like I said, isn't really a good thing. Jose was a booker. Like I said, you wanna be on his good side. Not to mention he was really good friends with the founders of this wrestling territory. But Brody did not play like that. He was not gonna be buddy buddy with anybody if he felt like he didn't like you. And that was that. But the main reason why Brody and Jose didn't get along was because Brody had actually fought him in the wrestling ring and he beat him very, very bad. Brody did not care who you were. If he was wrestling you, he was going to draw blood and he was going to win. He did not care. And the founders of the World Wrestling Council were trying to prime Jose to become its next big star. But when he fought Brody, 
and Brody beat him really bad, this really hurt Jose's image in the eyes of the people and it just made him look weak. So he really did not like Brody at all. He felt like he went way too hard on him in the ring. But like I said, Brody didn't care. He was gonna fight everybody the same. So this hurt Jose's popularity, but it made Brody's skyrocket and people absolutely loved him. Not only that, but Brody was actually looking to become a minority owner of the World Wrestling Council. I mean, he was becoming very popular. He was becoming pretty successful money-wise. So he wanted to invest in this business. And like I said, Brody's a very intelligent man. He's a businessman. He's not just looking to be a wrestler. He also wanted to be one of the people behind the scenes that was making things happen. But Brody also began to kind of rub it in Jose's face that he was about to become a minority owner and he said as soon as he starts to take over Jose is gone and he vowed that he was going to do whatever he could to get rid of him. Now of course Jose was not happy about this at all. I mean this is his career that is now being threatened by his arch nemesis. Not only that Jose was actually dealing with a very personal tragedy at the time. His three-year-old daughter had just passed away months before in a drowning accident in his family's pool. To be dealing with that at the same time your job is being threatened, it was just a recipe for disaster. But things were only going to get worse. So as I said, Brody was headed over to Puerto Rico in order to wrestle. And in July of 1988, he went and did just that. But as Brody was headed to Puerto Rico, he had one thing on his mind and that was getting his money. Apparently there was some sort of disagreement with him investing in the World Wrestling Council and the owners ended up owing him between 20 and $25,000 and Brody was going to get that money. Brody did not play about his money. He did not play. He was like, absolutely not. I'm gonna get my money and that's that. So on the morning of July 17th, 1988, Brody is working out with his fellow wrestler and friend, Tony Atlas. They were working out in the morning, preparing for the day. They were really good friends and that's kind of what they did before every match. That was their routine. Later in the day, as Tony was leaving the hotel in order to head to the arena so he could start the night because you know the matches are getting ready to go on, he walks outside and he sees Brody sitting on the curb with another wrestler named Dutch Mantel. And Tony looks at Brody and he's like, uh, what are you doing here? Come on, let's go. And Brody's like, oh no, I'm waiting for Jose Gonzalez to come pick me up. And Tony thought this was weird because he knew that they didn't like each other. So he's like, why would Jose be picking Brody up? That makes no sense. But Tony was like, come on with me. You know, Brody had been waiting for a while. He's like, just come with me. And Dutch is like, you know what? I'm gonna go with you guys too. So all three of them ride to the arena together. Once they got to the arena and they went into the locker room, Jose was actually already there with the two owners of the World Wrestling Council that he was really close to. So Tony just felt like that was kind of weird because he's like, why were you waiting on Jose to pick you up when he's literally here? And Tony just remembers that that gave him a very weird feeling. But as they walk in the locker room and see Jose and the two owners just sitting down at a table in a huddle, they weren't talking. And Tony remembers it was weird enough that they were just sitting there, but it was the fact that they weren't it gave a very weird vibe and Dutch Mantel said the same thing. He said he walked in and it was just like a very weird vibe in the room. It just made him uncomfortable. So much so that he actually ended up walking out and he said, I have to get out of here for a second. As soon as Brody, Tony and Dutch even came into the room, Jose Gonzalez actually got up, looked Tony Atlas straight in the eye and walked out. And he didn't look at Brody at all. 
Eventually, Jose came back in the locker room and he had a towel over his right hand. And he goes up to Brody and he says, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Brody's like, yeah, sure, that's fine. So they go into the showers in order to talk. Now, it wasn't abnormal for a wrestler to go into a private place to speak about their job and their career or their storyline with a booker. So no one really thought anything of it. It just looked a little bit odd because those two didn't really like each other. So Tony is sitting outside of the shower that Jose and Brody just went into to discuss things privately. And Tony's just sitting there preparing for the night, getting ready, not thinking too much of it. And Jose walked in front of Brody into the shower. Brody walked in behind uh, Jose. When all of a sudden he hears a noise, almost like somebody was grunting. As soon as Brody stepped in the shower, this is what I hear. And then the shower door opens and Brody comes out hunched over. Tony's like, oh my gosh, they're about to get in a fight. So he just assumed that Jose had punched Brody in the stomach. But as Brody is coming out of the shower, Jose is coming behind him and he's standing there holding a knife in the air and the knife has blood dripping off of it. And he's holding it in the air, getting ready to swing it back down on Brody while his back is turned in order to stab him again. Without hesitation, Tony immediately gets up and he grabs Brody and gets him out of the way. I looked up. When I looked up, Jose raised the knife in the air like this. I sprung from my seat, grabbed Brody around the waist. I pulled him back. When I pulled him back, the, the knife came back, cut off some of his ponytail. Mm. Tony lays Brody on the ground of the locker room where he realizes that he has been stabbed twice in the chest. One of the owners that was still in the locker room at the time, Carlos Colon, he immediately gets up and he pushes Jose against the shower door to make sure he doesn't hurt Brody again. And then he closes the door behind him. And Tony's just sitting there with Brody who's on the ground bleeding out. And all Brody says is, don't let them hurt me anymore. Please don't let them hurt me anymore. Eventually, Carlos Colon comes out of the shower and he goes over to Brody and Brody says to him, tell my wife I love her. At this point, the dressing room is completely chaotic. Everybody doesn't know what to do because they're completely shocked at the fact that this happened. Jose was still in the shower and the other owner that was in there as well that Jose had been sitting there with at the table when everybody first walked in, he was now inside the shower trying to calm Jose down and talk to him. Everybody hears screaming and yelling, but they can't really make out what they're saying. And eventually Jose comes out of the locker room shower and his shirt is all ripped up. And all he does is walk over Brody's legs out of the locker room. And he doesn't say a word to anybody. The ambulance didn't come for another 30 to 40 minutes because the traffic was so bad surrounding the arena because everybody was going there for the matches that night. Now, I always thought when it was an ambulance, you could kind of just turn your siren on and avoid the traffic. But for whatever reason, this wasn't possible. But during these 30 to 40 minutes, Brody is just laying on the floor of the locker room, slowly bleeding out. Eventually, EMTs arrive, but they couldn't get Brody on the gurney because he was just that big. I mean, he is a solid guy. He's a wrestler for crying out loud. I mean, it's not going to be very easy to lift him up on that gurney. So Tony had to do it. Tony lifted Brody up and put him on the gurney and he rode to the hospital with him in the ambulance. And Tony said the entire time he was with Brody, he was holding a picture of his son, Jeff. Tony said, don't worry, Brody, everything's gonna be fine. And he even started to sing to him while they were in the back of the ambulance. By the time they got to the hospital, Brody was in critical condition. 
But for whatever reason, a doctor wasn't coming to check on him. He had two stab wounds to the chest and nobody was checking on him. Tony was getting very upset. So he decides to go find a doctor who speaks English because remember they're in Puerto Rico. So there was a bit of a language barrier, but eventually Tony was able to find a doctor who spoke some English. And he said, why aren't you helping my friend? He's bleeding out. And all the doctor says is this is Puerto Rico. A stab wound here is like the common cold in the United States. So you wanna know what Tony did? I grabbed that, that rascal by his waist and threw him up on my shoulder, just like this. I carry him in to Broder and set him down right in front of Broder. I said, you're gonna look at my friend. If that's not a real friend, I don't know what is. Tony was a real one. He did not play when it came to Brody because that was his guy. They were really close. Eventually he decides to check out Brody's wounds to see what he can do. But as the doctor is looking at his wounds, Tony is helping to take off Brody's shoes so he can be a little bit more comfortable. And Tony said that when he took off Brody's shoes, his feet were blue. And Tony immediately got emotional and scared. He said, you need to do something with my friend. He's losing oxygen, you know, you have to hurry up. So eventually they do start operating on Brody in order to correct the damage that was done to him. They found that Brody's liver had been punctured and his lungs had been pierced. So these are pretty serious injuries. After the surgery though, they luckily were able to stabilize Brody and he was in stable condition. Back at the arena, the wrestlers were being told about what happened to Brody and that he had been stabbed. And at first people didn't really believe it, but eventually they started to come to terms with the fact that, wow, this really did happen. Now they didn't really know if it was an angle or not. You know, with wrestling, there's a very blurry line between fact versus fiction. So they really didn't know how true it was at first, but eventually they were able to come to terms with the fact that it was in fact real. And one of the craziest things that happened at this point was the fact that Jose actually returned to the locker room in a different shirt like nothing had happened. He showed no remorse, he didn't care, he literally came back, which is just unhinged to me. He came back and started preparing for the night as if he didn't just stab somebody in the same room. Once Brody's condition was pretty stable, Tony decided that he was gonna leave the hospital and go back to the arena because the matches for the night weren't canceled. They went on as normal. And Tony was very upset about this, but it was a work obligation and he had to go. But once Tony got back in the locker room, he was disgusted by what he heard. When I got back to the building, I'm I walking toward the dressing room. I hear, hey, 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 ha, 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 hey, great match. The blood stayed wet on the floor. Mm. Ain't even dry yet. The guys was laughing and joking about, about, uh, talk about their matching. And when he walked in, he heard this and saw this, and then he saw Jose in there. And he's like, what the hell are you doing here? And everybody was just acting like they didn't care or like what happened didn't just happen. And Tony was absolutely sickened by the fact that nobody cared that his friend had been stabbed and was fighting for his life. And that the person who did it came back like nothing happened. This made Tony so mad, he actually got up and threw a chair out in the hallway. And that's when a cop that was working the event came inside the locker room and told Tony to calm down. And Tony was like, I'm not gonna calm down for nothing. And the cop was like, well, did you hear about what happened to Bruiser Brody? And Tony's like, yeah, I was here. I witnessed the whole thing. And the cop's like, yeah, I can't believe a fan came in and stabbed him before he came in the locker room. And Tony was like, what? That's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. And the cop's like, what are you talking about? And Tony gets up, points at Jose and he's like, he stabbed him, he did it. It wasn't a fan, it was him. And Jose's just standing there looking at him as if he's just completely unfazed and does not care. 
And it was at this moment that Tony realized that there was a different story going around about what really happened to Brody. He doesn't know who started this story or why, but this is what people were being told, that a fan had stabbed Brody before he was able to reach the locker room. And Tony, being somebody who sat there and witnessed the whole thing, was like, I can't believe this is what people are being told. He was just completely dumbfounded by that. Tony actually did end up wrestling that night because as I said, the matches weren't canceled, but once he got out of the ring, another wrestler came up to him with his personal belongings. And Tony's like, what are you giving me my stuff for? And the wrestler was like, you need to get out of here. The owners are looking for you because you're talking. So now they were trying to come after Tony because he was telling everybody, what really happened? Tony was telling everybody that it was Jose. So this wrestler comes and meets him. He says, you have to get out of here. So Tony's like, okay, I'm gonna go back to the hotel. And he's like, no, 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 don't even go to the hotel. Just get completely lost because that's the first place they're gonna come looking for you. So Tony decides to go to the beach and he spent the entire night there just thinking about Brody. The fact that the owners were looking for him after he was telling a different story just goes to show that there was some sort of cover-up going on and some sort of collusion. The fact that there was even another story being told in the first place suggests that there's something fishy going on. I think that weird huddle that was going on between Jose and the two owners before everybody walked in seems to support this. Around midnight, Brody's wife Barbara had received a call from a woman named Nancy Cologne, and she was the wife of one of the owners, Carlos Cologne, the man that had stopped Jose from stabbing Brody for a third time. And she calls Barbara to let her know there's been an accident and she needs to come to Puerto Rico right away. Barbara decides to call the hotel that Brody was staying at to see if she can get some more information. And when she calls, Dutch Mantel answers the phone. He's like, there's been an accident. You need to get here right away. So Barbara does just that. She hops on the first flight to Puerto Rico with her and Brody's son, Jeff. The following morning, Dutch wakes up around 8 a.m. and he goes down to the front desk and asks the receptionist if she can call the hotel that Brody's at just to check on his condition. So the receptionist does just that. She gets on the phone, tries to see how Brody's doing, but as she's on the phone, she starts to cry. And she looks at Dutch Mantel and she says, I'm sorry, but your friend didn't make it. He died last night. And this was exactly what happened. Bruiser Brody, born Frank Goodish, had passed away at the age of 42. And the fact that it happened in the way that it did was so brazen, so bold, without any type of remorse, just completely animalistic to do something like that with other people right in the next room and to not even care. And now a son is left without their father and a wife is left without her husband. Brody was a great guy and his life was taken from him. This was very shocking for Dutch to hear because it just, it was a very tragic. I mean, this wasn't something that was expected. It just happened out of nowhere. And now he has to deal with this loss. That same morning, Tony returns to the hotel because he figures it's safe to come back now. Maybe the owners aren't looking for him anymore. And once he got to the hotel, there were a lot of wrestlers huddled in the lobby, which looked kind of weird to him. So he goes up to them and it was there that he found out that Brody had passed away. Eventually, all the other wrestlers met in someone else's room so they could talk about what really happened because everybody was being told completely different stories, very different from what Tony had witnessed with his own eyes. Eventually, the wrestlers are summoned to go to the police department to give statements about what they saw happened and what they believed happened. So Tony goes to the police department and he says, I am an eyewitness. This is what I saw. And he retells the story that I told earlier. But 
The police are like, your story is very different from everybody else's. Tony's like, what do you mean? There's only one story. I saw it. You know, he's like, who is telling all of these other stories? I don't get it. And why would they be doing that? They said that they would contact Tony if they needed any more information out of him. And after that, he left the police department. In fact, he just left Puerto Rico altogether. And he went home because he just couldn't handle the tragedy anymore. He couldn't handle the loss of his friend and the fact that people were lying about how it really happened. Barbara arrived in Puerto Rico later that day. And while she was at the airport, she actually ran into Abdullah. And if you don't know who Abdullah is, he is actually another wrestler. He was also known as Bruiser Brody's in-ring nemesis. I'm not sure if they didn't get along outside the ring, but I think they were just rivals in the ring. Like that was just their storyline. Barbara runs into Abdullah and she's like, hi, I don't think you know me, but I'm Brody's wife. And she just asks him how Brody's doing. And Abdullah kind of looks at her like, they didn't tell you? And it was there that she found out that Brody was gone. Her husband, the father of her child, he had passed away. Because you have to think about it, this is the late 80s. People don't have cell phones. A lot of times when you told people things, it was once you could get to a landline or you just had to tell them in person. Barbara completely broke down and she was taken to the morgue by Nancy Cologne, the woman who had called her earlier to let her know that there had been an accident with Brody. And she had to go down there and identify his body. She just couldn't believe that all of this had happened so fast. She decided to have a small ceremony for Brody in Puerto Rico where all the wrestlers attended. And then she had him cremated and brought back to the United States. Three to four days later, Jose Gonzalez was arrested for the murder of Bruiser Brody and he was taken to a local precinct, but he wasn't even put in a cell. Eventually he was released on bond a few hours later. There was also a very quick, very short trial and Jose was acquitted of all charges on the grounds of self-defense. According to him, Brody attacked him while he was in the shower, so he had no choice but to stab and kill him. And one thing that Tony thought was crazy was the fact that he was never contacted again. How could they have an entire trial without the testimony from one of the main witnesses? Nobody reached out to him. The trial started and finished without the jury ever hearing from him. So at that point, he knew that it was a farce. Now Dutch Mantel was actually subpoenaed and he went and spoke at the trial, but he said once he got there, he kind of had a feeling of how it was already gonna go and that Jose was going to be acquitted. And the trial, the trial was supposed to be like January the 20th, and guess when I got my subpoena to appear? January 21st. Absolutely. <laughs> I knew the verdict. I knew the verdict of the trial before I got my subpoena to appear. One month after Bruiser Brody was killed, All Japan Pro Wrestling held a huge tribute show for him because he was revered in that country. And they invited Barbara and Brody's son, Jeff, to attend. He was honored for being the amazing man and wrestler that he was. He meant a lot to the people of Japan and they wanted to honor him. As of today, the weapon that killed Bruiser Brody has never been found and people still don't know what he and Jose were really talking about in the shower that day. Jose's not talking and Brody unfortunately isn't here to give his side of the story. Jose actually works children's birthday parties as his wrestling persona, the invader, which is kind of interesting to say the least. In 2019, Bruiser Brody was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame and rightfully so because he was a legend, but Barbara wasn't actually contacted about this. She found out on Facebook 
that Brody got inducted into the Hall of Fame. And although she was pretty disappointed that nobody took the time to reach out to her, she was happy nonetheless that Brody was getting the recognition that he deserved for his accomplishments. Brody was truly an amazing man inside and outside of the ring. And one thing that was very rare for a lot of wrestlers was that he never allowed his in-ring persona to bleed into his real life. He was very good at leaving work at work and going home and being present, which was, like I said, very hard for a lot of wrestlers to do. But Brody was a smart guy and he refused to let anything distract him. He never sold out, he stayed true to himself all the way through. My heart breaks for his family and for him. I mean, the fact that the way he died has been in such question and doesn't really seem like anybody had his back other than Tony Atlas and Dutch Mantel. Everybody else either spread a wrong story or believed it. And no one ever really did anything to make this not the case except for Tony and Dutch. They were the only ones that really had Brody's back in the end. And it's heartbreaking because it definitely seems like Brody was set up by Jose Gonzalez, Carlos Colon, and the other owner. And it's really heartbreaking that you can give something to a company and do what you can to bring them publicity just for them to betray you. Brody deserved much better because he was such an amazing guy and he didn't deserve for his death to have so many questions around it. But with that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up today's episode. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening and watching and I hope to see you in the water soon.